King Jesus, we honor you. You're glorious. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of everything we have to give, and then even more. Lord, what else do we have to offer a king but a grateful heart? We praise you. Thank you that you are altogether lovely, altogether wonderful and kind. Thank you that you are with us and that you are for us. Nothing could ever snatch us out of your hands. Thank you that that is the hope and the promise and the sure foundation of the believer. Praise you, Lord. Praise you. Pray that as we now, as we transition towards opening your word, that you would continue to be glorified and exalted in this place. Pray that you would minister to the hearts and the minds of your people. We're here for you, Jesus, but we are needy, lowly, hurting, broken. And so would you meet us here? Would you care for us today, great shepherd? We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. <clears throat> All right, well, as you guys know by now, kind of going through a little uh, detour from the Gospel of John, and just wanted to do, uh, let me actually say, youth group is happening out back, sorry, um, and so I believe they're already back there, but if we have any other high school, middle-aged uh, students that would like to participate in youth, you can go straight out that back door. Russ is standing there uh, by the door, and uh, he'll see you out, so... All right. <clears throat> so as I said, doing a little bit of a detour and uh, excited to do so as I was away for several weeks thinking and praying about this church and about uh, how, to, how to lead moving forward this year. And there were just a number of things that were on my heart. And as I said, this is kind of recalibrating, if you will, a little bit and just kind of setting our hearts and our minds in the right place for the, for the coming year as it pertains to Jesus' church, and as I had also mentioned, what you, you could call this um, a series in ecclesiology, and that is the study of the church. What does the Bible say about the church? What is the, the purpose of it? What is the nature of it? What do we understand about the church of Jesus? And so that's kind of what we're, we're looking at over the, the next few weeks, and it will become more and more practical as we go along. But today, I wanted to talk about commitment to the body of Christ. Commitment to the body of Christ. Now, let me just take a step back, <clears throat> and I want to talk a little bit about progress, the need for progress. I worked at a company called Yoast International uh, several years back in Tennessee. I was a welder, and we would uh, weld fifth wheels for Mack and Peterbilt and Volvo uh, transfer trucks, and they had this policy there called continual improvement. And the idea was is that there were various departments. You had, you had shipping, you had welding, you had um, assembly, on and on it goes. And if you worked in a particular department, you understood the inner workings of that department and all the systems in place, but you could improve upon it. If you had ideas that could improve the process and speed up, um, speed up you know, the ability to produce, then you would actually get a bonus. And they called that continual improvement. Now, that phrase always stuck with me. I liked that concept of continual improvement. In fact, I've come to embrace that concept in my own life, always considering, always assessing how I might improve, how I might improve, or how I might progress, right? And that's 
actually biblical. Paul tells Timothy, who is the pastor of a church in Ephesus, talks to him about his character. He says you need to set the example for the believers. He talks about his, his uh, duty as a pastor. He talks even about his giftings. And then he says this, Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. It ought to be evident to everybody that we are progressing. Amen? That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, notice I said continual improvement, not constant perfectionism. Right? Now, that's, that's, that's a whole other struggle, and I, I struggle with that too. Constant perfectionism, you know? And so we've got to watch out for that. Continual improvement. Progress is key. And as a pastor, I'm regularly considering how I might progress as a man of God, as a teacher, as a leader, as a shepherd. You know, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to that, all right? But I'm also regularly thinking through, praying through how we as a church might progress in the things that matter, in the things that are most helpful. And I'm committed to that. You know, the day that I stop considering and thinking how we can improve and progress as a church, I just need to hang it up, right? So I don't have it all together. I don't have it figured out, but I'm committed to growing, right? We don't have it all together. We don't have it figured out, but we are committed to growing, right? We're in this together. So just hang out. It will get better, I assure you, right? And so as a result, uh, you know, that's, that's something that I regularly think through, and um, I think the operative word here in all of this is the word commitment. You know, I talked about progress, talked about continual improvement, but I think what I really want to talk about today is how do we grow, how do we improve in our commitment, right? How do we grow, how do we improve in our commitment to Jesus, our commitment to each other, as the church. You know, I praise God for the committed folks that we have here at Calvary Napa. It's a real blessing. It's a blessing to me, a blessing to, to many others, right? And as I talk about commitment, as I talk about these things, I just want you to recognize that it's not my place to decide what that looks like for you. The Holy Spirit is very capable of convicting you and showing you where you need to commit, what commitment needs to look like, all right? We on the same page? You tracking with me on that? Okay. Well, listen, many people are afraid of the word commitment, right? Did you know that? Many people in this day and age, that word scares them. Or, conversely, they have no regard for it. Commitment, what is that? You know, could care less about any idea of commitment. But you know what? If there is anything in this life worth having, you have to have commitment. We know this, do we not? When you think about marriage, what is marriage without commitment? It takes serious commitment. If you want to go the distance, if you want to be faithful to your vows, if you really want to grow together over the long haul, it takes serious commitment and dedication. Career, if you want to advance in your career, you can't be quitting. You can't be changing jobs every other month. You have to be committed. Diet, fitness, obviously these things take commitment. If you have hobbies in your life, things that you enjoy doing, but you want to excel and be better at it, it takes years of commitment, right? And so we recognize that commitment is crucial if you want to have anything worth having in this life. Well, let me tell you, nothing is more important than our commitment to Jesus. All of these other things are important, and we have to have commitment to excel in them, 
But commitment to Jesus is the highest priority. And Jesus himself said, you need to count the cost. You need to determine if you have what it takes. Are you ready? Are you really ready to commit to following me, walking with me and serving me? Jesus expects commitment. And if we aren't committed, if you don't have commitment, what are we going to do when trials come? When temptations come? When discouragements and doubts come? Because we know they do, right? When it rains, it pours. And so we have to have commitment. We have to have it settled in our heart that we are committed people. Committed to Jesus. Committed to His church. The body of Christ. Now if you were here last week or you saw last week's message online, then you know that we talked about Jesus' commitment to His church. Talked about how important the church is to the heart of Jesus Christ. We talked about how Jesus is building his church. He's the sovereign architect, if you will. He is calling people out of darkness into light. He's calling them out of the world and into his church. Jesus died for his church. Remember that? We talked about Jesus shed his own blood to purchase his church, to pay for the sins of his people and to bring them into the body. Jesus relates very closely with his church. Remember, what did he say to Saul on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because he was persecuting the church, but that was just as good as persecuting Jesus because Jesus closely relates with his church. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus is in the midst of his church. Revelation, the one who walked in the midst of the golden lampstands. And so we talked about the fact that Jesus is closely and intimately involved in the church. He loves his church, loves his church dearly, and he is deeply, deeply committed to his church. So what is the church? What is the church? Is it this building right here? Is it? No, it is not. What is it? It is the gathering together of God's people, Jesus' sheep. It is the called out ones. It's a people group. Remember where I said during the week when this building is empty, this ain't the church. It's just the building where the church gathers. And there's something very, very special, very significant that happens when the body of Christ comes together as one. Something very special. That is the church. The Bible refers to this particular group as the household of God. We understand what a household is. Mom, dad, brothers, sisters. It's a family. It's what we are. We are a family of believers. It's also referred to as the house of God, the pillar and the support of truth. The church has been established to be a support, a buttress, a foundation upon which the truth would be carried from generation to generation through the church of Jesus Christ. We would love the gospel, embrace the gospel, defend it, preserve it, and pass it on to the next generation. And here it is today, nearly 2,000 years later, we have the gospel message which we love and preach. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves her dearly. He is washing her and sanctifying her. And one day he will present his bride to the Father in radiance and splendor. We will meet at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And lastly... The church is called the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. Now, that's, that's a very significant phrase, an idea. We are the body. See, Jesus is in heaven. He ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not here in a physical sense, but we are. 
And we individually are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but we come together as an assembly of believers, and we are called the body. He is the head. We're going to talk more about this in the message today. But if you want to get a hug from Jesus in this life, the closest thing you're going to get is right here in His church. Amen? When you are embraced by His body. That's serious. I don't think that we really understand the gravity of what that even means, to be the body of Christ. It's glorious. It's mind-boggling. And so we'll talk about commitment to the body today, and really in two parts. The responsibility of the body of Christ, that'll be kind of point one. If you are committed, you have a part to play. If you're committed to the body of Christ, you have a part to play. Second point, the goal of the body of Christ. If you are committed to the body of Christ, then you play part in a common aim. We've got a goal. We have something we're, we're, we're going towards. And so we'll look at that today as we consider our text. So with that, I want you to stand with me real quick, and we'll just read this text together. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair somewhere nearby. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16, and this is the word of the Lord. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. You may be seated. I'm really excited to be teaching this text today. Man, what a glorious text. So point one. The responsibility of the body of Christ. And what is that responsibility? Edification. Edification. That is our responsibility collectively. We'll talk more about that as we go. So verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Jesus, who loves his church and cares and provides for his church, gave gifts to his church. Jesus gave gifts to his church. Just a few verses earlier, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So, Jesus ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Helper came just as Jesus promised. And as we are regenerated, born again, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we receive gifts. Gifts that are given to us so that we can serve one another, so that we can serve Jesus. 
Now, there are different categories of gifts. There are what are known as the sign gifts or miraculous gifts. Sometimes they're understood as uh, prophecy and healing, so on and so forth. Gifts of service. Those are kind of understood to be a little more practical. Administration, helps, teaching, exhortation, mercy, giving. But then there are office gifts. The office gifts. And that's kind of what we're, that's what's in view here. Apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So this would be an office. Now, we believe that the office of apostles and prophets have closed. That has ceased. There were the original 12 apostles that uh, Jesus sent out who did all kinds of signs and wonders, and they wrote Scripture, and the Bible describes them as the foundation of the church. And then prophets, as we understand from the Old Testament, who spoke forth authoritatively the Word of God, forthtelling and foretelling. Now, some people have kind of changed <clears throat> the definition of what an apostle and a prophet is, and they've kind of blurred the lines, and uh, they say that those still exist modern day, but I don't think so. Uh, it seems to me that those particular offices have closed. And I think if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, and I'm not trying to belabor this, I just couldn't kind of pass over it. It says that, Therefore, uh, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There it is, there's that phrase. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we are the house of God, the the household of God, the dwelling place collectively, corporately of the Holy Spirit. We are being built up upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the prophets that spoke of the coming of Christ and His suffering, the apostles who preached and verified that it has indeed come to pass, that Jesus died, He rose again from the grave, and uh, they, they set forth these things in Holy Scripture for us. That's the foundation. The foundation has been laid. There's no more need for that. Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation of the building itself, and now we, as the body of Christ, are being built up. Does that make sense? And so that has ceased, but what continues on today is the ministry in the office of evangelists and pastors and teachers. Those function today. And now it might not be immediately apparent in the text there, but pastor-teacher is one and the same. It's, it's, it's not five different offices here. Pastor-teacher is one, and it speaks to do two different aspects of the ministry. And so it's one who does soul care, cares for the hearts and the lives of the people individually, one-on-one. He's a shepherd, a pastor, but he's also a teacher, one who teaches doctrine and instructs from the Word of God, uh, whether individually or corporately. And so this has been given. Jesus gave pastors and teachers to the church for what purpose? That's what I want to focus in on now. So if, if I lost you, if that was like super boring to you, I apologize. Let's reel it back in, all right? You with me? Because this is really where I want to get to the heart of what's going on here. So Jesus loves his church. He's building his church. He has given, gifted, 
uh, pastors and teachers to equip his church, to equip the church. That's what it says there. They've been given for the equipping of the saints. That word equip there, it's an interesting word. When Jesus found John and James mending their nets and called them to follow him, the word there for mending their nets is the same word. And so they are taking those nets that had been used to fish, and they were worn and torn. They were mending the nets and restoring them back to their original <clears throat> condition so that <clears throat> excuse me, they could be used for their intended purpose. That's what God does through the pastors and teachers in the local church. He equips you. Equips you, all right? You understand? For the work of the ministry, equipping the saints. Now, you may not believe that you're a saint, but that's what the Bible says that you are if you are in Christ. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you've been set apart. You've been called out of the world by God and set apart for His purposes. That is all of us. You may feel more like an ain't, and that's okay. But if you're in Christ, you're a saint. All right? And so we as saints are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. The, the word work there, I mean, it has with it the idea of toil and rigor. It's, it's hard work. Service is not easy. It can be inconvenient. It can be very sacrificial. It can be very laborious. It can be downright discouraging at times. But it's work. And we have been called to do it. And what is the word ministry? It means service. And a minister is a servant. Thank you, brother. We got a servant right here. Amen. All right. He's doing his part. Amen. All right. So, we all have a part to play. We are saints. We are in the body of Christ. We have a job to do. We are supposed to roll up our sleeves and serve Christ. And what is it that we're specifically supposed to be doing here? Edification. Edifying the body of Christ. Now, that's a word that I never really heard before I became a Christian. I guess you could say it's just real part of, part of the Christianese vocabulary. Edifying, right? To edify. But it, it's a construction term. It means to build up. To build up. To strengthen. And that is the goal. All right? That's the responsibility of the Christians. We are all in this together to do the work of the ministry, to build up the church, to build up one another. You have a part to play, Christian. Amen? I'm not just a professional minister who is hired to do all the work of the ministry. We are in this together. My job is to help equip you collectively so that we can do what we were meant to do before the Lord Jesus. And Jesus has given gifts to all of the body so that we can achieve this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, Paul says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So we are individuals, obviously, but we are collectively members one of another, making up a body of believers. And Paul says, as such, we all have been given gifts according to God's grace, according to the sovereign will of the Holy Spirit. Each person receives a particular gift or maybe multiple gifts. 
gifts that differ, but they all serve their purpose. And so it's necessary that we come together as the body of Christ and use them. And that's the point Paul's making here. Use your gift. He gives a few gifts in this list. It's not exhaustive. The point he's simply making is use your gift. Get in the game. The body is counting on you. Again, what is the purpose? Ephesians 14.3, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 14.3. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So spiritual gifts are a good thing. They're a necessary thing. Jesus gives us gifts, and we are supposed to use them for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? You tracking with me? You with me? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, thank you. Now, on a basic, personal, I mean, y'all don't understand, I'm, I'm kind of a southern preacher, and I fight the temptation to say, can I get an amen, like every 30 seconds. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I have already thought, okay, hold off, hold it, hold it, don't, just don't say it yet, you go, too much. All right, so, look, on a basic, kind of personal level, we understand the concept of serving the body, Right? I mean, doesn't your body work to serve itself? I mean, with intense commitment. The moment I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking coffee pot, okay? That, that starts flashing in my head. And then, it, then it's just on from there, you know? Read the Bible, eat breakfast, exercise, and, and on and on it goes. And we're thinking very intensely. We are deeply committed to how we are going to take care of ourselves, how we're going to minister to our own needs, to our own body. And that, uh, that should be the case. There's nothing wrong with that. That's necessary. But in the same way, that is necessary for the body of Christ. And we all have a part to play in that. And so... Our bodies individually function under the control of our brain or our head. We understand that, the master control center. Well, in the same way, the body of Christ, it works to build itself up under the headship of Christ. Christ is the head. And His will is the commanding force, ultimately. And so that's, that's what we're talking about today. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And we are commanded, commissioned by the Word of God to do our part to serve and bless and build up the body. It's a commitment. It's a commitment that we're called to make. And so with that, if edification is the responsibility of the church, you know, what's the goal? What's the goal of edification? It's not so that we can just feel good about ourselves or be happy and, you know, come to church and leave feeling fired up just so that we can get discouraged all over again, you know, by Monday, right? The goal is maturity. That's the goal. That's what, that's what Christ wants for us individually. That's what Christ wants for His church. He wants His church to be a mature church. Or mature. I'm not really sure which it is. Mature at any rate, that's the goal. That's the goal of the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? It's not perfection. Uh, it's maturity, growing, looking more and more like Jesus. So in the remaining verses, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, there are four things that ought to be true of a mature body of believers. So we've looked at the responsibility 
of the body of Christ, the responsibility, and that is edification. Now we're going to look at the, the goal of this edification, and that is so that we would mature, so that we will mature. So the first thing in verse 13 that we see is a mature body of believers pursue Christ-likeness. That's, our, that's, that's a goal. That is something that the mature body of Christ is going after, living for. So verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this may seem insignificant, but just those first four words, till we all come. You know what that says to me? It says that we're going somewhere. There is a target. There is a destination. There is an end goal that we are trying to reach. We are not just floating aimlessly through this life. There is something that we are working towards. There's something that God is very committed to working out in us a number of things that begin to come out of this text as we move forward. And the first thing that we see here is the unity of the faith. So we all come to the unity of the faith. Now that is a marker of a mature church, unity. When you got disunity, when you got factions, when you got infighting, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And that's something that the Bible says a lot about that we have to really guard against. We must be united. But what are we united by? What is it that holds us together? Because it has to be a very powerful and binding force. Because we as members, individual members, we're very different. We come from very different backgrounds. We have very different opinions and struggles on a whole host of different levels. So what is it that brings us together and makes us one? It is the truth of Christianity. It is the truth of of who Jesus Christ is. It is the reality of the gospel and the fact that we have been changed, that we have been born again, that we have been made alive as a result of it. It's Jesus Christ. That is what unites us together. Amen? It's a common belief and a common cause. We are on the same page, working toward the same goals, united around the faith. What is the faith? It's the truth that there is a holy God who created the heavens and the earth, who created us, who created us, that we would honor Him and glorify Him, that He would be praised by His creation. Yet, we fell away from a holy and a good God because we chose our own way. We chose to disobey God, our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were given the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree, and they did anyways. Then came the curse. Then came death. Then came the fall. And then came separation from this holy God and His creation. And as a result, every single person born from that time forward was uh, born cursed born in the sin of Adam. That's called the original sin. And that we are sinners by nature as a result. Sinners by nature. We don't, we're not good, innocent people, and then at some point we choose to sin, and now we're sinners. We are born that way. And that's something that I wrestle with on a daily basis. I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I mean, the, they know no bounds. I just think, okay... 
They're, they're little sinners. Maybe next year it'll be a, it'll, it'll be a little better. Uh-uh. No, sir. And so, you know, I know this personally. It's bound up in the heart of a child. It is our nature. But God intended to set things straight. God intended to redeem His people, to make all things new. So God, who is loving and kind, gave His one and only Son who would live the life that we were supposed to live all along. He, as the second Adam, did the very thing the first Adam failed to do. He kept God's law perfectly. And this righteous one, this holy one, this precious Son of God, died on Calvary's cross, cursed on that tree for us. He bore our curse. He became a curse for us. He drank God's wrath that was for us there on the tree. God crushed His Son God poured out His holy wrath and indignation that was meant for the nations on His Son. And Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus bore the wrath of Almighty God on the tree and He died. And He rose again three days later from the grave, declaring victory over sin, over death, over Satan. Victory to the captives. Freedom to the captives. Liberty to the captives. That's us. And we who were dead in trespass and sin, bound up in iniquity, slaves, blind, children of wrath, children of Satan, have been set free by the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been called out of darkness into light sovereignly by the gracious love of our God and Savior brought into the church. See, that's what we gather around. The truth of God's love through the gospel that Jesus Christ is in the world saving sinners. Amen? And that, that is what we unite around. That is what brings us together. That's the good news. That is the gospel. That's the foundation. And it, does, it never gets old. That's not old news. That's always fresh, beautiful, new, glorious news to our ears and our hearts. Amen? That's what we unite around. A, a mature body of Christ, they gather around that truth. And they worship Jesus for that regularly. He also says, till we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, there obviously with this is the idea of understanding, knowing, um, learning and growing in the truths of the Bible, of God, of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But it also has with it uh, an experiential knowledge. There's many people that I know of. I know they exist. I've seen them on TV or, or whatever, but I don't know them personally. The church is to be a place where mature believers are growing in the relational knowledge of Jesus. It's not just some academic pursuit, and it's not just some abstract kind of theory. We know Jesus. We walk with Him in love. We read His Word. We pray. We've been, we've been saved by His precious blood. His Holy Spirit indwells us. We are alive in Him, and we are growing in that direction. Growing in that direction. A church that is united in the faith and growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, we've got to be a church that's about Jesus. A church that is about exalting Christ. A church that is living unto Him. And then he says, to be a perfect man. I love that. How are you doing with that? Feeling perfect? Feeling perfect? Well, fortunately, that doesn't have the exact idea that we tend to think. The idea here of this word is complete mature, fully developed. You know, we don't want to be an immature body of believers. We want to be uh, fully developed 
in Christ. We want to be mature. And he said it's according to the measure and stature of Christ. Christ is the standard. Christ is the goal. It's according to the measure and stature of him. Looking like Jesus, walking like Jesus, serving and loving like Jesus. That's the goal, not only individually, but as a body of believers. It's all about Jesus, amen? Amen. And so that is one, among others, one marker of a mature body of believers. Unity, experiential, relational knowledge with Jesus, growing in maturity, fully developing according to the standard and the measure of Christ himself. He's, he's the standard. All right, well, the next thing, the next thing that uh, should be a marker of mature, committed believers is uh, doctrinal stability, sound doctrine. What, that's another Bible word. Doctrine means teaching, and sound means wholesome or healthy. We are to be about wholesome, healthy, sound Bible teaching. That's critical. Now, I just know some of these things I'm talking about today, I'm glossing over it because we're going to talk more about these things in the coming weeks, more in depth. But a, a mature body of believers ought to be a church that is very solid when it comes to the Word of God. Verse 14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. All right, so we ought to be doctrinally secure solid on the foundation of God's Word. No longer children, Paul says. You know, the thing about a child, they're vulnerable. They're, you know, easily deceived, naive. And I, obviously I say that, you know, I'm not, I don't mean that in some kind of a harsh way. And there's a sense in which we love that about a child. There's, you know, childlikeness. There's something about that kind of faith that even the Bible admonishes us to have childlike faith, but there's a difference between childlike and childish. And as adults, we ought not be childish, right? Especially when it comes to the truth of God's Word. We don't want to be like children when it comes to things as serious as that. Paul describes it as being tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, so it's tossed to and fro. The Bible uses this kind of language. It's like the crashing waves in a sea just being thrown around by the waves in the ocean every which way, unstable, wavering. And I even thought about, really, a, a kite. Now, I haven't flown a kite in years, but um, sometime back I was in the park with my girls flying a kite, and, it, man, it was a lot funner than I remembered but man, you watch that kite go up there, and before you get it all the way up where you want it to be, you just don't know what the wind's going to do with it. And it'll just fly this way and that way, and then all of a sudden it'll dive down, and you think you're going to dive bomb one of your kids on the head with the kite. And I mean, it's just going every which way. It's violent. You don't really know, and it just comes crashing down. And you know what? A lot of Christians can be like that. Paul says that we as believers ought not be like that. We need to be solid. We need to be sound. We need to be stable. We don't want to be like the kite being thrown by the wind every which direction. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. Every new and goofy teaching that blows through the church. And there's no shortage of them. There's no shortage. It's always been that way. It's going to always be that way. And so we have to be careful. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we need to know when we hear and see things that don't measure up to the Word of God. That's a mark of a mature 
church. That's the mark of a mature Christian. I love this quote, MacArthur. I mean, he uses about as many $5 words as you can pack into one little paragraph, and that's partly why I like this quote, so humor me. But he says, Spiritually immature believers who are not grounded in the knowledge of Christ through God's Word are inclined to uncritically accept every sort of beguiling doctrinal error and fallacious interpretation of Scripture promulgated by deceitful false teachers in the church. Now listen to this. They must learn discernment. Now like this, they are inclined to uncritically accept every sort of beguiling doctrine. You know, we are to be critical. Now that might sound weird to you, and my pastor in South Carolina used to say, we need to think critically. Don't be a critical stinker, but think critically. Think because truth matters, words matter, doctrine matters. And so we want to slice it right. We want to cut it straight. We want to understand it well. And so we want to be workers who need not be ashamed. And so we want to be very careful about God's truth and make sure that, we, that we've got it right. We must learn discernment. You know, discernment is having the ability to hear something, say something's not right there. Not just believing it because anybody's saying it, but going against God's word as a standard, good sound orthodoxy, and knowing that what this guy is saying does not line up with that. We've got to be able to do that. Um, I had a, a friend years ago that wanted to be in ministry, and he would send me these videos of some of the craziest, goofiest stuff I ever heard in my life, and he would be so excited, and I'm just thinking, man, you want to be a shepherd? You want to shepherd God's flock, and you're falling for stuff like this? How in the world are you going to protect God's sheep? And so it's something that we have to be very serious about, very devoted to. It's a mark of a mature body of believers, sound doctrine. Um, he says, don't be carried away by the trickery of men, cunning craft, craftiness, deceitful plotting, um, Another commentator, he says, the words, these words refer to the arts used by gamesters who employ false dice that will always throw up one kind of number uh, by, by which the player can never win, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. The, the odds are stacked against us. These false teachers and false teaching, you know, Jude describes it as clouds without rain. It looks good. Sounds good, certainly looks promising, but there's no rain. It doesn't deliver. You know, so often a lot of the false teachers and, and folks in our day and age, man, everything they say sounds great, and it sure seems to work well for them, but not so much for the people sitting under their teaching, right? And so that's something we've got to watch out for as a body of believers, maturity uh, in God's Word. Moving on, the next thing in verse 15 Maturity looks like commitment to the head. The body is committed to the head. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So speaking the truth in love, you know what the immature do? They speak the truth, but they don't do it with love. They wield it like a hammer and they do damage with it. And so a mature person, they can handle the truth and they can speak it. And with love and grace, but we are to be those who care about the truth and who do speak the truth, you know? And the truth hurts sometimes. Did you know that? 
it's hard sometimes to tell the truth to people, and people don't always receive it so well. But if we love each other, we're going to do that. We're going to tell people the hard truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A friend's going to tell you the hard truth, and we're supposed to do that, and we're to do it in love. But then he says, growing up into him who is the head, Christ. Now, this is, I've given this illustration before, and I know people have told me this is just such a bizarre picture, and uh, even now my wife's shaking her head at me, but I can't think of a better, I mean, it just makes such good sense to me. I had a pastor I was talking to early on as a pastor, and I was asking him about, you know, kind of what I ought to emphasize as a pastor, and what is the goal, and he said, he quoted this verse, and he said, Rob, I kind of see the church like... Christ, which is a fully developed, mature head, and then a little body, which is the church. And the body has to mature and grow up until it is actually, um, you know, equal to the head in stature. Now, man, that makes such good sense to me. It's a disturbing image. I will (laughs) give you that. And, uh, you know, but that makes sense to me. You know, Christ, you know, He is the goal. He is what we're aiming for to look and be like, and we're not there. We're far away from that. We are immature in a lot of ways as a body, but we are working towards growing by God's grace towards being the same fullness and measure and stature of Christ that the body would look like in proportion to the head. And so that's our goal. We want to grow in Christ's likeness, and Jesus as the head, it's, it's, we answer to Him. And so the headship of Christ, the headship of Christ um, that's probably something that you've heard before, and uh, there are, you know, with it, there's really two aspects to this. Jesus is the head of his church. I could get more into why that's actually been a problem throughout history. It's really fascinating stuff. I won't get into it now, but it's the truth. Jesus is the Lord of the church, and there's really two aspects to Jesus being the head. And we're committed to him. He's the magisterial head. That's a fancy way of saying that he governs the body. That Christ is the Lord of the church and we are his loyal subjects. So he's the ultimate authority of his church, right? But then there's what is called the vital head. Jesus gives life and vitality to his body as the head. Jesus gives the body what it needs. He nourishes the body. And I I would say John 15 applies just as much to the church as it does to us individually. We always think of John 15. He's the vine and we're the branch. And as long as we're connected to him, we'll bear much fruit. But man, if that is true for us individually, how much more is that true for the church? Because a church can be disconnected from the vine. We could be a church of Jesus followers who have no concern for Jesus. You never hear his name. You're never, never, you never hear the gospel. You never... Consider his accomplishments and his achievements and his promises. And so we as a church need to be a body of believers that are committed to the head. He is our Lord. He governs the church, what we do and how we do it. He is the one that we are regularly praising and giving honor and glory to. He's the reason for it all. And he is the one that we look to to sustain us and strengthen us and to produce fruit in in our lives and in our church. And then lastly, uh, verse 16, we're to be a body of believers that are totally committed to one another. And this is really where I want to kind of bring it home. And I got kind of one big application that I will attach to this. Verse 16, 
says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So Paul describes the body as being joined and knit together. We are closely joined and knit together. We are members one of another. The whole body works effectively when each part does its share. When the body begins to shut down and different um, organs and limbs stop doing their part, it's a problem, right? It's a real problem. And we, we fail to recognize, I, you know, I hear from people who lose certain abilities, even just if they lose a finger, that changes everything, things that we take for granted, right? And so, um, you know, I knew a brother. I saw him cut his finger off on a table saw. Just trying to get your attention here. Uh, it's true. I did see that. It was pretty disturbing. And a good friend of mine. And uh, I watched how things kind of changed for him, honestly, things that he couldn't do anymore. And so it's, it's a true statement. It's a true reality. Uh, we take for granted uh, parts of the body until we lose them, until they're no longer doing their part. Each part has to do its share. Uh, Guzik said, some people think of the church as a pyramid with the pastor at the top. Others think of the church as a bus driven by the pastor who takes his passive passengers where they should go. But God wants us to see the church as a body where every part does its share. A committed body of believers, people that are committed to Jesus and committed to each other. And Paul says that when they do that, when each part does its part, does its share, in turn it causes growth for the building of itself up in love. So there's more help. As the body is functioning as it ought to and every part is doing its part, every part is is committed, the body only grows in health and strength and vitality. And he says that this is for the building up of itself and love. Look, love is the motivation here. We know this. The Bible is very clear about this. Love has to be the ultimate motivator for these things. If we do all these things but have not love, what is it worth? Nothing. We have nothing. It means nothing. And to God, it's just like clanging cymbals. It's just obnoxious. And so... Um, all of this is for love. And so, love for Christ, we love Jesus, and we love each other. Amen? We love one another. If you love Christ, you're going to love His body. Think about that. If you love Christ, if you love the head, you're going to love His body. That makes sense, does it not? Now listen to this. If you love the body, you are loving Christ. Do you want to love Jesus more? Do you want to serve Him more? Do you want to honor Him in a greater way? Love His body. Come together as the, the church of Jesus Christ. Get to know one another. Love on each other. Use your gift to serve the body of Christ. And think about that. In so doing, you are expressing true and genuine love to Jesus Christ as the head of the church by loving and serving and ministering to His body. I mean, let that sink in. Let that sink in. That is good. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. It's true. And it's very important. You want to love Christ, love his body. You want to receive the love of Christ, receive love from his body. That's the other side of this thing. You have to come into the body of Christ and allow the body of Christ to love you and to support and serve and minister to you. That's a big part of the problem there is we just don't let that happen. 
You know, sometimes people will come to a church and they'll say, you know, it just seems like it's, it's clicky. But you know what that is? That is people that know each other loving each other. And you're seeing it in action. And you feel like you're on the outside because you are. But we want you on the inside. You are fully welcome to be on the inside. And when you come into the inside, it is glorious. And I've seen this happen. I've seen people come in. Maybe that was their sense. But they pushed through that. They began to develop uh, you know, relationships. And then they find their place and they serve. And it's awesome, man. As a pastor, I love nothing more than to see that. You know? Praise God. That's what it's all about. But we have to do the uncomfortable thing. We have to push through. We have to put ourselves out there. And uh, that's, that's part of it. But man, it is so good when it happens. Imagine if there were a church where every single member did its part, where every member was consistently present and committed to doing its part. There is no church out there like that. We all got a long ways to go. But could you imagine a church where every single member was fully committed and consistently showing up and doing its part? Last week, I kind of used this illustration. I'll use it again. In a lot of ways, local bodies of believers are missing a kneecap and missing a couple of toes and got a patch on the right eye and hard of hearing in their left ear, you know? Um, and, and we want to see, you know, sight come to that other eye and hearing to the ear and a knee replacement and see that body come to full health and vitality. That's what Jesus is committed to doing in his church, right? And so, um, man, imagine that, you know? I love this church. I love the people that are committed to this church, I love our friends and family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm just so excited about what God has been doing and what God is doing. There's so much to be encouraged about, and I'm excited about what is coming this year. And one thing that I'm particularly excited about, something that the elders and I have been discussing and praying through for a long time now, is the idea of um, formal membership to the church, formal membership to Calvary Napa. And so as I said before, we are always considering ways to shepherd well and to improve upon things here at the church. And that's one real way in which we hope to encourage the body of Christ to really plug in, to really commit themselves to this particular assembly where they believe God has called them. So I'm going to say more about these things in the coming weeks. I'm going to talk more about this and walk through it scripturally and, and kind of hit it from different angles. But just real quick, regarding this idea of, of membership, let me just say that Calvary has not traditionally had like a formal membership where you're a, a member of the church because in the beginning, in the 60s, there was a real pushback against denominationalism where you would have denominations that were really pressured to get people saved and baptized and members of the church so they could report it to the headquarters. And I've even heard stories of young pastors coming in being told if they can't get X amount of numbers, then they're going to get fired and they'll get a pastor in who can. Right? And so there's a real push against that. And I understand that. But you know what? We don't report to a headquarters. We don't report to anybody. We are... We are pretty autonomous as our own little body of believers here. We are connected to other churches, and we are accountable. Don't get me wrong. We certainly are. But uh, we don't report numbers. So there's no kind of fleshly motivation here in this. 
And you know, some people maybe have had a heavy-handed experience, or they see formal membership as a church just trying to be heavy-handed. Look, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we are like the least heavy-handed church that you're probably going to find, you know. Calvary is Jesus' people. It is a grace place, and nothing's going to change there. Amen? Here's the deal. We want to be able to effectively shepherd Jesus' flock. We've been given a command, feed my sheep, shepherd my people, tend my sheep. And we want to do the very best that we can do. We as elders, we have a responsibility before God. We have to give an account one day for your souls. Who exactly am I accounting for? I need to know that as a pastor. We as the elders need to know that. Is this your church? Are we your pastors? Are you on mission with us? Are we united around the same cause? We want to encourage you to step forward and say, yes, that is me. We want to help you. Help us to help you. We want to foster in you a greater sense of belonging and commitment and identity. Yes, this is my church. Yes, I want to be a member here. Yes, I want to be shepherded by the elders that God has placed in my life. Yes, I want to support what God is doing in this place. I want to play my part in, in moving forward with the body of Christ. So listen, this may, some people may be very, you know, thrown off or even uncomfortable with this idea of formal membership, and that may not even be something that you want to do, and that's okay. Um, everybody's welcome here. We're going to minister to anybody and everybody that comes through that door, amen? And we're going to do it genuinely, and we're going to do it sincerely, and we're going to do it in all love. But man, we hope that as many people as consider this their home would be members of this church. I want to be a member of this church. Can I just tell you that? I don't take it for granted. I want to be a member of this church. We had, we had a group of people over at our house not long ago, and the brothers from the bridge ministry were there. And um, I had a book on my end table on church membership as I was kind of reading and considering some of these things. And they saw it, and we began to talk about it. And you know what they kind of said with one voice? Man, we want to be members. And I thought, that's it. That's the heart. That's the spirit. I don't know about you. I want to be a member. Why wouldn't you want to be a member of your church? And so we're excited, man. We as the elders are excited about what God is doing. And, and uh, you know, as, as we move through this year, the kinds of things that we're going to see happen and greater measures of health and strength and vitality as we exalt Christ and are led by His Spirit and seek to... Uh, deliberately and intentionally lead the church and shepherd his flock. Amen? And so my prayer, my heart, my desire for us is that we would be a committed body of believers, committed to Jesus Christ first and foremost, and committed to each other, committed to his body, committed to serve and to do our part, to find our place and to fill it. Amen? Father, we worship you. We thank you so very much what you're doing here at Calvary Napa. Thank you for your people, and thank you that we are one body. It's not a us and them. We are one in Christ, and we are all working collectively to serve a common purpose. So we praise you. We give you honor. We give you glory. Thank you, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit to step more fully into what you've called us to to serve and to minister to and to care for and to build up the body of Christ. Help us to fall more deeply in love with the church, more deeply in love with you as the head, oh Jesus. We praise you. 
It's all for you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.